Hey y'all, welcome to Calvary. My name's Caleb and I'm on the tech team and I play fiddle here. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. It's a great first step to join in our church family and it's also about daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk to one of our volunteers or our staff after the service. We want to let you know what's going to be happening over the next hour or so. First, our band is going to lead us in some worship. Mm-hmm. That'll help us understand who God is, express our love and affection towards Him. Afterwards, we're going to take some time to let you all know about some of the things that are going to happen here at Calvary. Then one of our pastors will be sharing an encouraging message from our new sermon series. I'm so glad you're here. Now, I invite you to join in with us as we worship together. Have you ever been in the midst of a crowd, even with people that you know and yet have felt all alone? What level of social anxiety do you wrestle with? Does it plague you inside? You know, over the last number of years, loneliness, I understand, has been a growing experience for many people here in Canada, especially Canadians 24 years and younger. Nearly 25%, so nearly one in four, say that they feel lonely always or often. That's a lot. Are you a part of a community that knows you? A place where you can be vulnerable with what's really going on inside? And if you're married, when was the last time that you were vulnerable with somebody who isn't your spouse? And more appropriately, with someone who is of the same gender as you, in that honesty. What would it look like for you to connect into community? You know, we are in the last week of a series on the book of Philippians. The last week. Philippians has been a great journey, a rich experience. I have learned so much, and there's a part of me that is actually grieving that we're going to be moving on. But I've learned so much in understanding not only what it means to relate to Jesus Christ 
and, and what it means to follow him, but to observe the relationship between the Apostle Paul and these Philippian believers. They absolutely loved each other. There is a giving and a receiving that was as natural as any relationship that we can experience in this world. And if there was ever a relationship where we could follow, that we could emulate, an example for us to follow, it would be this one. Just to give you an idea of how Paul felt about them, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray for you, I make requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news of Christ from the time you first heard until now. Verse 7. So it is right that I should feel this way as I do about you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God. God knows. Verse 8. How much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 is another example. But for, uh, chapter 1 verse 4. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. You know, when the Apostle Paul was in financial need, of all the churches in Macedonia that Paul had planted, this Philippian church was the only one that cared deeply enough to be generous and gave him what he needed. That's what we looked at last week. So, Paul signs off on this letter to these people that he loves so much. Let's look at it together. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 21. Greet every saint in Jesus Christ. The brothers who are with you greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. God, I know that as I initially looked at this, I kind of went, whoa, how do I preach this text? And yet I know that everything written in your word has a purpose. Every word is there by design and is intended to bring transformation into our heart. So I thank you that it is alive. I thank you that it is active. And Holy Spirit, I look forward to what you're going to do in our heart as we look at these last words of Paul to the Philippian church that he loves so deeply. Teach us, correct us, encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, connecting in community, which is really what Paul is demonstrating here, means, first of all, that we are known by God. And if you have your sermon notes, you may pick them up on your way in. You can follow along with those. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Let's take a minute and just look at that word saint. When you hear that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, yeah. For me, uh, I think of some gaunt medieval, frail, too perfect to be real image of a person on a stained glass window high up in a cathedral, right? Like, am I the only one that, that, has, that thinks of that? You know, to others, it's an insulting, holier-than-thou connotation, and they would not call themselves a saint for fear of sounding egotistical, boastful, or, or proud. And yet still others believe that we should pray to them, asking for their help 
with whatever challenge we have in front of us. I think the word, the use of the word, has drifted far from its New Testament meaning. It has been loaded down with all sorts of cultural and religious baggage. There are traditions within Christianity that teach a person becomes a saint by their exemplary virtue or their merit, perhaps their devotion or their religious achievement. Perhaps they were martyred or they were killed for their faith and their devotion for Jesus Christ. Then after their death... Such a person may be elevated to sainthood by their world leader. And this is known as a person becoming canonized or one who is on their highly revered list of people and is considered a model of life to be emulated for the rest of us common people. But the New Testament in the Bible gives a very different picture. The English word saint, it comes from the original Greek word hegios, and it is translated set apart once, separated ones, sanctified ones, or perhaps holy ones, which is probably the best translation for this word. It is used, get this, some 235 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. So saint is not a superhero of the faith. A saint is anyone who comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by their surrender to Jesus, they have separated themselves from sin to God for his holy purposes. So, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, or you're listening online, you are a saint. You are a person who has been set aside for God and God's purposes through you in your life. Now, perhaps I hear you arguing with me in your head that even though you've surrendered your life some time ago, You find yourself constantly doing things that the Bible outlines as sin. Maybe you constantly are doing your own thing and you're making a mess of the relationships in your life. Perhaps you're even caught in an addiction of some sort. And you would argue with me and you would say, I am not a saint, but merely a wretched sinner saved by grace. And I would say to you, I understand why you feel that way. I have felt that way. I have said these things about myself, but I do no longer. Why? Because though saying we are merely a sinner saved by grace, it sounds humble, it's actually not true. It's not true after we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. I would say it can actually be a sense of false humility. And perhaps it causes us to sin more. Why? Well, because of what Solomon wrote. King Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. As he thinks within himself, so he is. 
You know, the late Dr. Adrian Rogers once said, the me I see is the me I will be. Think about that for a minute. The me I see is the me I will be. In fact, why don't we read that out loud together? The me I see is the me I'll be. If we are just a sinner saved by grace, then why would we expect anything different to be true in our life? Why would we expect to do anything different than sin? Because we can always fall back in the grace of God and he's just going to forgive us. In fact, if that is who I really believe that I am deep inside, I'm going to consciously just live that out. Before any one of us ever came to Christ, we had to acknowledge that we were sinners, needing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to cover our sin, to forgive us, to make us a new person. We did not deserve forgiveness. But the moment that we surrender our life to Christ, we become in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's not in your PowerPoint, but it says that we become a new person. We become a child of God, a son, a daughter. And when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us as a sinner anymore. He sees us just as though we never sinned. That's what the word justified means. A clean slate. I would encourage you to go meditate on Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. You'll find it there in the notes. But let me just give you verse 20 in that text. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Once we come to God through Jesus Christ, I don't know how else I can say this any stronger. We are no longer a mere wretched sinner saved by grace. So claiming that we are still sinners as a part of our identity is actually a lie from the enemy. Instead, we consider ourselves to be saints who sin. Saints who still sin. And when we do sin, we still have to confess we still have to repent and make things right with God and those with who we have sinned against. But it isn't a reflection of our identity anymore. It's a re- it simply is reflecting that we're still human and we still make mistakes. Are you willing to shift your thinking and your perception of who God sees that you are. Who God sees you to be. Calling anyone who follows Jesus Christ a saint was Paul's favorite term for us. In fact, he did it some 40 times. Paul even addressed the members of the Corinthian church. So if you're looking on your table of contents, that's 1 and 2 Corinthians. 
even though he called them this, I'll read it in just a minute, even though they were the most troubled, the most sin-plagued, the most messed up church that Paul had ever planted, of all of them that he had planted. And yet he actually calls them those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Do you think of yourself this way? Or do you keep pounding your head for all the mistakes that you've made? I sure did for years. So let me ask you, are you willing to forgive yourself for your sin and the mistakes that you've made? You know, sometimes it is easier for us to receive God's forgiveness than it is for us to forgive ourselves. Do you need to repent for willfully rejecting God's forgiveness? Will you release yourself into the freedom of God's forgiveness and from his judgment? Choosing to believe what God sees about us. Yes, that we were once a sinner saved by grace, but now a saint who is set apart for God's purposes to honor God in every way with our life and our choices. That will change how we view ourselves. It changes our identity. It resets the trajectory of our life. What is keeping you from viewing yourself as God sees you? And establishing your identity on his view that you're a saint if you surrender your life to, to him. And he wants to use you. He wants you to honor him in all things. You see, you are known by God. He sees you exactly the way you are. And yet he calls you a saint. He has set you apart. He doesn't see the screw up that you've been. He doesn't see the mistakes that seem to trail you and dog you. When he looks at you, instead he sees the beauty. He sees the purpose that he has created you for. This is incredible. Why is this so important in order for us to connect into community? Because when we see ourselves and we accept ourselves for who God sees that we are and who he's created us to be, then we can engage with others in relationship that is much more healthy. It's much more a life-giving way. We can walk in true humility because we understand that we still sin and make mistakes, but those don't define who we are. Instead, we understand that God has given us something to offer the people around us, to build them up, because that's what he's calling us to do. We can be on mission with Jesus Christ, coming alongside people who don't know him yet, but because he has placed them on our heart, we can give to them. It, is, it, it comes from a strength that is found in our identity, in our inner being, 
and we can minister to them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. You know, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ here yet today, whether you're here personally or whether you're watching us online, so that you actually wouldn't be called a saint by God, would you like to become one? Would you like to follow Jesus Christ and come into God's family today? Are you ready for that? You know, in the back of your sermon notes, I wish I had a copy of it here or online just below where you where you are watching this video. Um, there's some principles there for you to follow through, to think through and to process, and a sample prayer that you could, you could pray if you need some words to help you do this. You could make that decision right now, right where you're seated. You could process these things and actually make this decision to follow Jesus Christ. Thank you, Michelle simply looks like this. In fact, there's a little place to write on the bottom if you were to write the date on it. I would encourage you, if you make this decision today, come tell somebody. Come talk to us. Maybe tell the person that you came with. Tell somebody online. Maybe let us know online. We would love to celebrate with you, and we'd love to help you take your next step in following Jesus Christ. Now, back to our text. I want us to notice that Paul says for them to verse 21, to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, he doesn't say, say hi to everyone over there. He specifically says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. No one is to be left out. No one was to be overlooked. He knows your name. He sees you. When we follow Jesus Christ, he writes our name in a book, and it's called the book of life. And that will be pulled out at the end of time. And if our name is not in that book, we're in trouble. Because that means we're headed to an eternity separate from God, away from him. But being a saint, we never have to worry about when that day comes. Because our name is already written there. And there's confidence that we have. Because our name is in that book. You know, I like how the, living, the New Living Translation puts it. Verse 21. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people. All who belong to Jesus Christ. Connecting in community, first of all, means that we are known by God. Secondly, it means that we know others and are known by them. You know, the Greek word here for greet, again, is not just a, hey, how you doing from a long ways away? <laughs> this carries a sense of drawing one close to yourself. Like when we see someone that we love deeply but haven't seen them for a long time, we immediately draw them in close and give them a big hug. You feel the excitement inside and exclaim, it's so good to see you again. That's what this word means. In fact, I saw it just in a restaurant on this last Thursday. 
That's what this greeting is like. Paul is feeling, this is how he's feeling about these Philippian believers. But you can only feel this kind, of, this kind of excitement when you know the person well and deeply love them. And when they know you well and they deeply love you. And this is what connecting into transparent and authentic community creates. When we take the risk to be honest with others, when we choose to extend at least some level of trust, even when we don't know them well yet, it opens the door to experience a sense of community that makes it feel like we belong. It brings a connection that is deep. This can happen to almost anyone in the world. But it is especially true, especially meaningful for those of us in the body of Christ when it is with another brother or sister in Christ because we're part of the same family. And being in Christ means that we have the Holy Spirit living in each of us, in each other. And his presence then draws us together in deep and meaningful ways. Connecting in community means we have the opportunity to know and to be known by others. This is the bond that the Apostle Paul has with the Philippian believers. Then he adds, verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Why is this significant? Two reasons. Number one, the Philippians were having the same pressures and the same persecution that, uh, from the Roman government that the Apostle Paul is experiencing in his imprisonment. And by him, Paul including, especially those of Caesar's household, he's encouraging them to remain strong no matter what. What better encouragement for them to hear that direct employees and perhaps even personal family members of Caesar Nero that they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. Now that's encouraging. Reason number two. To know that God has used the apostles' imprisonment to influence people for the kingdom of God and actually lead them to Christ shows that it doesn't matter what situation that we are in. If we can get over ourselves, if we can stop our, our, our whining and our, our feeling sorry for ourselves and look to God... He can use us for his purposes in incredible ways. The Roman guards who were guarding him and others in Caesar's own household came to know Paul very well. And he obviously came to know them very well. This being known and knowing others is critical to influencing them for the kingdom of God. It is key to helping others experience the same love and the same power that is available to us in Christ Jesus. Lastly, connecting in community means that we will walk in God's resources. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, at first, I found it interesting and maybe a little annoying that he closes the book with this phrase. It's actually a little bit different than what he has closed some other books with. And I thought to myself, well, that's nice. 
you know, to end with a blessing like that. Um, it is actually what, it, it, it's part of the example that we try to follow here and blessing each other at the end of our services. But what does it really give a Christ follower to go on? And how do I preach such a simple praise, phrase like this? I'm a little embarrassed to admit that to you. But I thought that until the Holy Spirit pointed out to me that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is the resource that we absolutely need in order to connect into community. We need this. I need this in order to make community work. You see, grace in this case, it means unmerited favor of God. Essentially, it's saying that we are receiving something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve the love that God expressed to us even when we didn't acknowledge him, even when we didn't care about him. We don't deserve the offer, his offer of forgiveness of our sins given freely by Jesus' suffering and death on the cross that we will be remembering coming in just a few weeks. We don't deserve to be accepted exactly the way we are when we come to him. We don't deserve to be made right with God and to be seen just as though we've never sinned. And neither do we deserve the power of the Holy Spirit available to us as saints to live out God's identity of who we are in ways that honor him and that, and that are best for us. But it is this grace that we need to start to connect in the community. The closer that people get to us, the more their habits and their quirks will annoy us. How many of us are married and have experienced that? The greater chance, when we start connecting in community, the greater chance that they will get to know our weaknesses. They're going to get to know our faults, our blemishes, our mistakes, and our pain. The more their personality will rub us the wrong way and will sometimes just drive us crazy. But before we get too arrogant and we get too puffed up about ourselves with our own pride, we must realize that we can also do the same thing to them. Our quirks may drive them crazy just as much as they do us. There is no level of saintliness. One person is not saintlier than another. Every person who has submitted their life to Jesus Christ and trusts him for forgiveness of their sins is a saint, a holy person set apart for God's purposes. Now, there are different levels of maturity. There are different levels of spiritual and emotional and relational health. But once we've been set apart, God sees all of us just as though we've never sinned. So there's no room for judgment. There's no room for condemnation or thinking that we are more saintly or perhaps we are less saintly than anyone else around us. You know, many years ago, Lorianne and I started a small group. And after we formed our leadership team of three couples, each of us decided to go find one couple and invite them into the group. And so that means we would be six couples to start. It was a great plan. And it worked really well. Until one of the members that somebody else brought 
was unbelievably annoying to me. His insecurity made it impossible for him to get serious about anything. He would make jokes at the worst time. He would derail the conversation so it wouldn't get too deep every opportunity he had. From a small group leader's perspective, he was the most frustrating and annoying person to ever try to lead. And I can remember thinking to myself, it's just being honest with you, why on earth is he here? Why did those people have to invite him? He's probably, th- and, and by the way, he was thinking the same thing about me. We find out later. Well, God had something to teach me through this. I had to learn how to love somebody I really disliked. Now, it wasn't because that he had wronged me or he hurt me in some way. We didn't have any history like that that went back a ways that I had to forgive and seek to reconcile. That's a whole nother level of grace required. He just irritated me in so many ways. I needed this resource of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to love him the way God loves me and calls me to love him. I simply just didn't have it in myself. And God did it. God did it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ filled my heart and it grew into love for this guy. And he became a great friend of mine. And not so many years later, he went on to lead his own, he's a lead a number of different small groups. And we often laugh. Him and I, we've often laughed about those first couple of years because they were rough. (laughs) Do you realize that the word community comes from the two words common unity? It means we are choosing to walk, choosing to walk with others, focusing on what we have in Christ, not focusing on the differences between us. And that can be tough. Connecting in community requires that we walk in the resources that are available to us through the Holy Spirit. We simply do not have what it takes apart from God. The Philippian church was not perfect. It had conflict, some factions. They had false teachers among them trying to lure them away. They had people doing God's work for the wrong reasons, selfish ambition, trying to build their own kingdom. They were, there were those that did not like Paul and were trying to take advantage of him being in prison. That's why Paul needed this grace, to love them and to continue to care for them and to serve them. And it's why we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to love others as he loves us. Now, we may need God's grace as a resource to navigate relationships that have gone sideways. It may be that you've been hurt that you've been wounded by somebody perhaps in your previous church. Perhaps a previous small group. Or maybe for you, it's, it's right here in Calvary. No church is perfect. And that's absolutely true of Calvary. 
it's not perfect because you and I are here. It ain't never going to be perfect. I've heard it said, church wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for the people. I know firsthand that the closer that we get to people, we get into relationship, the higher the risk of being hurt. And the more grace that is required. But this doesn't surprise God. And that's why I believe he made sure that Paul put this phrase here as his parting shot. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And can I say that the risk is worth it? Because life is better together. Far better together. Even if, and I don't make light of your pain, because I've walked in deep pain from other believers, even when we get hurt from other people, it still is worth it. It's a better way to live. That's why there's a pile of teaching in Scripture about confession and about repentance and forgiveness, practices that help relationships work, especially in a broken world. You know, we've never been intended to live like a hermit. Sometimes when we're hurt, we just want to sequester away. We want to pull back. We want to get away from people, never see that person again. Sometimes I just think that we think that life would be better that way. It's just going to be easier. But God has designed us for community. Community with himself and community with each other community that follows the example of the perfect community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They live it out, and they invite us to live it out. If there is a broken relationship in your life, whether it's with your previous church, maybe it's somebody in this church, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's with a close friend, will you seek God's resources to make things right? Will you seek to reconcile as far as it depends upon you? All of God's resources. Grace is the one he's talking about here, but all of them are necessary to connect into community. And I can tell you that around here at Calvary, the best way to connect into community is by starting a small group or perhaps by joining an existing one. We have existing groups that may be a great fit for you, but we're really looking for those that God is calling to start groups today. We have groups that are starting called Authentic Living on Monday evenings. I think they can still join. Just let the church know. What a great way to explore how to live authentic and transparent lives in community. Authentic Living, Monday nights. You know, uh, we have groups starting with the mission of reaching grandparents who want to become intentional in influencing their grandchildren and what that looks like. We've got 
group starting for young couples, others for young families, one in in uh, the Beaumont area, another one in Sherwood Park, some right here in Mill Woods, just blocks around from the church. There's some talk about one in the Northeast Edmonton, another one for young adults who are struggling in their faith and have, or have left the church altogether. Is the Holy Spirit calling? Is he inviting you to start one where you are at? In your neighborhood? Or perhaps for a particular group of people that God is placing on your heart? Maybe it's people from your country of origin. Maybe it's people with the same issues that you have struggled with. Maybe it's new Canadians who are seeking love and connection and hope in this new land. What would it be like for you to be on mission with Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit doesn't call people who feel qualified, by the way. He qualifies. He equips those he calls. If he is calling you, he will give you everything you need, and we will come alongside and equip you for that task. You know, small groups are not just another thing we do around here. They are what we do. And, and what we will be doing around here. You know, this isn't going away. It's not a passing fad. It's not a program that will, by this fall, we're going to move on to something else. This is the model of the New Testament church. Large group, small group. It's what gave them the stability to face the persecution and the challenges that the Roman government were giving them. It's what set them up for a win, not to just barely survive, but to thrive under incredible persecution. It is what Pastor OJ and I talked about some three years ago now. He saw this is what the church needed. He was right. And here we are. I invite you into community. Whether you are in junior high or whether you are well into your senior years or someplace in between, will you join us? If you're feeling a tug in your heart, Here's what you can do. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to show you who he'd like you to connect with. Pay attention to certain people he brings to mind, names or faces who don't know Jesus. Number two, remember, if you've been here two weeks, you're no longer new. You're one of us. So when you're here on weekend services, look around. Look around the foyer. Look around the service. Down, downstairs in our fellowship time after. Look around for a face that you like. Maybe look around for a face you don't like. Because we need this grace, right? Strike up a conversation with that person or with that couple or that family and see where the Holy Spirit leads you. Because he may want you to start a group with you and them. And then number three. Come talk to one of us or go to our website and let us know. So here's how you do that. Here's a quick little video. You go to our Facebook, our, our, our front page, our homepage. This is what it looks like right there on the right. Join a small group. Click 
on that button. And then as you scroll down to the bottom, it's clear, click here to request a group. And also, if you're interested in leading a small group. You know, I'd like to take a few moments here now to reflect on what the Holy Spirit's been saying to us today. What he maybe has been saying to us all the way through this book of Philippians. But before we consider these questions, they're going to be on a screen behind me. I'd just like us to pray first. God, I'm so thankful for the example that you gave us of Paul and these Philippian believers. These people who, oh, they were not perfect. And they had stuff going on that was not good. Paul had to bring correction all the way through this letter to, to them. But they loved each other deeply. They chose to focus on the things that brought them together in Christ. That they had in common unity. Not the things that were driving them apart and irritating them. God, I thank you that how you view us is huh, maybe different than the way we view ourselves, certainly different than the way the world views us. But God, would you give us your picture? Would you give us an understanding of who you see us? Maybe in these times of reflection as we consider this, Holy Spirit, would you give us a picture would you give us some words? Would you remind us of a memory, a story that helps us see who you see us to be? And then God, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you said you will build your church. So how do you want to use us to do that? Is that through us? Starting a group, joining a group, speak to us in this time. I guard this in Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus.